0: COVID-19 can be characterised as a pandemic. We
1: have breaking news on a corona scare. The panic buying. Self-isolating on a statewide level. I
2: advise all Australians to reconsider your need to travel overseas at this time.
1: Welcome to Coronavirus Watch. I'm Jenna Clark. The World Health Organisation has confirmed coronavirus is officially 10 times more lethal than the seasonal flu. Eight countries are now each reporting more than a thousand cases of the COVID nineteen strain caused by the virus that has infected more than one hundred and thirty four thousand people around the world. The World Health Organization made this announcement whilst expressing alarm that the infection is rapidly spreading and there has been inadequate responses from governments. But it is not too late for countries to act. Prime Minister Scott Morrison this week announced a $17.6 billion stimulus package for Australia. Meaning all those eligible include those on Newstart and pensioners who will receive a one-off payment of $750. But the stakes could not be higher. This stimulus package needs to boost the confidence of shoppers and businesses around the nation. It needs to get us spending in ways we have not for years now whilst finding a way to keep people in work to avoid a recession while we're in the midst of this almighty health crisis. Joining me now is Health Minister Roger Cook. Mr Cook, this is not the news that West Australians would like to wake up to, I would imagine. Some are now probably a little bit more scared at what this means. So what does a pandemic declaration mean for us here in Perth and Western Australia?
2: Yeah, good morning, Jenna. Look, I know people will... um We'll see, see this announcement and, and it may, may raise anxieties within pe- members of the community. I, yeah, we understand that, mm-hmm. but we want people not to panic. Look, we um, have been on pandemic footing for a, a period of time now, um, even though the World Health Organization has not um, declared it until today, we've pretty much been assuming it was coming and certainly once the Prime Minister started putting in travel restrictions, I think we had all the preconditions for a global pandemic. So it's um, not business as usual for us because there's no such thing nowadays, but it's certainly just continuing to run through with our plans and our strategies, continuing to roll out our response to protect the West Australian community.
1: Yeah, sure. Look, I guess overnight we've seen uh, Italy have had further restrictions imposed on them. Denmark is now essentially closing itself down. Is there, uh, look, is border closure something that could be on the horizon for Western Australia?
2: Well, look, one of the things we contemplate in our um, pandemic plans... Um, is certainly that we will need to look at social distancing at some point in the future to limit the spread of the virus. But we've done um, remarkably well in Western Australia to limit the community spread of the virus. In fact, no cases that we're aware of have occurred as a result of simple spread of the virus within the community. So that puts us well ahead of the game in terms of anticipating what the future peak might look like and when that peak occurs. So you're seeing some extreme action being taken by governments in other countries, that's because they weren't as well prepared and their public health systems weren't as well um, established or um, or set up. And in that sense, um, I don't think we will necessarily see those sort of extreme measures take place in Western Australia.
1: I guess uh, this morning we've just had the stimulus package announced in Canberra, $750 to senior seniors and welfare recipients. Is that welcome for us here in WA?
2: Oh, absolutely. And and look, Jenna, there's a, some great cooperation going on between governments, particularly federal and state governments at the moment in relation to this issue. Uh, I think we all understand that we're in this together. And, um, and from that perspective, I've been working very closely with Greg Hunt, the mm-hmm. Federal Health Minister. I know the Premier has been working with uh, the Prime Minister and speaking to him regularly mm-hmm. about what measures we all need to take to protect um, and to get us through this issue. I think the stimulus package looks pretty good. Um, Certainly the measures that were put in place by Greg Hunt, announced by Greg Hunt yesterday with regards to telehealth and other measures around the the COVID clinics, Mm -hmm. uh, which we will see implemented in WA, all that um, is, you know, is... Very much welcome and will set us up nicely to continue to fight this bug.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Roger Cook, you're a very busy man. Thank you so very much for joining us on The West Live this morning.
2: Thanks for your time.
1: Well, you heard what the Minister just had to say. So does that reassure you? In a moment, I'll speak with Dr Andrew Miller from the Australian Medical Association. What are the doctors going to be telling us? Also, we'll hear what the big mining companies want every worker on site to know about their health. Joining me now is West Australian President of the Australian Medical Association, Dr Andrew Miller.
3: Great to be here, Jenna.
1: Now, I guess this morning we've had the World Health Organisation has officially declared this as a pandemic. You're the the doc in the know. What does this actually mean for us here in Western Australia?
3: Well, the World Health Organisation is finally catching up with what doctors have known uh, for Probably about a month now, which is that the definition of a pandemic has long been met. That that just means that there's a virus uh, spreading in the wild in in several different countries at a time. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of the problem that we've faced in um, you know our advocacy here is convincing people that there really is a storm coming. Because when it's sunny outside and everyone's happy at the beach, it's pretty hard to accept that. there's bad weather just over the horizon. Mm. But uh, we know how this thing works. Uh, we know that it's coming. And trying to impart a sense of urgency without getting people to panic mm. uh, is a really tricky thing to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess because this, like you say, this perfect storm is probably going to coincide at the peak of our flu season, are you and uh, your your members worried that, you know, we may run out of flu vaccines here in, in WA when this thing hits?
3: Well yes flu vaccine is one one component um, I suppose the the best way I've found to explain this to people is that the the critical part is to delay the number of severe cases we have at any one particular time mm-hmm. and one way of doing that is certainly to avoid people getting the flu at the same time as this disease is going through the through the community We can deal with this if we manage to delay the number of severe cases so that they don't all arrive at once so The problem if they all arrive at once, if you've got 30 people with really severe pneumonia in your emergency department Mm -hmm. tonight, Mm -hmm. you can't handle that. You just don't have the resources to do it. But if you've got three, you can deal with that. And then three again tomorrow night and then for the next 10 days, then that's okay. So what we're asking the community to do is help us out when we get to the stage of seeing community spread by... Delaying you personally catching the disease for as long as possible.
1: Yeah, and I guess uh, we saw yesterday with the uh, the state government's uh, pandemic plan. Are you are you happy with that from from your point of view?
3: Yeah, the plan is great. Um, we think that that's uh, that's good. As with all things government, though, it moves at a sort of pretty slow pace. And part of what we're trying to do is we we probably have been. Um, you know, uh, I suppose, annoying a few people by, you know, perhaps um, (laughs) not being as as calm a voice as the government. That is their job. They want the the population to not panic. That's certainly true. But we're trying to get that sense of urgency going because it's very difficult, as you know, at the best of times, Mm. uh, to get governments to do things quickly and efficiently. We all know that, Mm. Um, particularly in a a health system that's already stretched, that's already running at close to 100% capacity. So, We want to protect the people on the front line and the community's role in that is to delay these infections uh, getting around amongst their own community so that when we do get the sick ones turn up and we will we can space them out and deal with them um, in numbers that are manageable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is, that is key. And as we saw some news overnight and some stories that have been flooding through uh, to our Facebook page, that some people in Italy, um, you know, doctors are having to decide who to put on respirators. So it comes down to the fact that, you know, it's, you know, do you protect yourself first and then the person next to you? It would be, I guess it would be panic stations here if that, that was ever the case.
3: Well, unfortunately, we've seen this in several countries now where where part of their health system just gets overwhelmed. So that's exactly what happened in Wuhan. Mm -hmm. Um, It got overwhelmed there. They couldn't help everybody that they wanted to help. It's happened now in northern Italy, um, and it took off there very quickly. We're seeing other countries that are being a bit more um, successful or lucky or whatever you like in, in slowing it down. But the message from those countries and from Italy is go early, go hard, Um, make people take this seriously Mm -hmm. and and unfortunately that means at at one point we're going to have to start really inconveniencing everybody Mm. by starting to close down mass gatherings and um, that will include uh, obviously a lot of popular events and and also the schools.
1: Yeah, well I guess the the RSL is still sort of waiting on health authority advice to see whether we should cancel Anzac Day. Do you think that that would be advisable given this news overnight?
3: Um, I think we will need to cancel Anzac day. I think we'll see that happen. I think that's partly because um you know any mass gathering is uh, is a problem but that that's a group of people too who are particularly vulnerable to mm-hmm. this course, disease yes so um the elderly uh we we're, we're very worried about mm-hmm. um the nursing homes we're very worried about and uh the, the anything we can do to delay the transmission as long as possible into those places we'll see um, aged care facilities go into lockdown, mm-hmm. um, meaning that people won't be able to visit or, or go in and out. So you need to start making preparations for now for how you're going to keep in contact um, with your elderly relatives. Now, go I've ahead. been accused, uh if not directly, then certainly by implication of scaremongering and of, of um, being reassuring enough. But you know, what Dr. Denner, is, we just give people the straight truth. We yeah. our, our professional history is that you can't sugarcoat things if somebody's got cancer. Yeah. You need to sit down with them and have a really serious conversation about what this means. You don't, you don't just keep reassuring them. Um, and that's, this, that's the situation we find ourselves in now is that we have to explain to the community, look, we're really sorry. Mm. Uh, you've got a coronavirus in your, in your midst yeah. and this is going to take some treatment. And, but we'll be here with you. We can We can sort this out. Um, but uh, there's no need to panic. Yeah. But we are going to have to work together and take it seriously.
1: It's almost like a help us to help you type type agreement, I guess.
3: Well, it, very much so. And then it becomes even more complex because um, th- this, unlike cancer, this is a disease that you can give to your doctor so and to your nurse and to the other people who work in the hospital. Yeah. That's what's so frightening about infectious disease because the very people who are trying to help you mm are the ones who are therefore automatically most likely to then get it next. And when they get it next, not only it's a double whammy, not only can they no longer help you, they then become a burden on their colleagues who have to treat them. And you can imagine uh, us seeing scenes of doctors in Northern Italy trying to treat their colleagues who they were working alongside a couple of weeks ago who are now critically ill, and they don't have the resource to treat their colleagues. You can see why there's a little bit of pretty uh, sensitive feeling in the medical community at the moment, mm. particularly when anyone starts criticising frontline services.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think you're putting that very politely. I guess we, we have to focus on the elderly, but also babies and, and young children. Is there any advice for pregnant women out there at the moment?
3: Um yeah, they, pregnant women um, do not suffer badly from this disease, nor do their babies. We've seen, um, uh, you know, obviously people with concurrent health conditions can, can have trouble. The, the big problem for pregnant women, and can I give you a little personal insight here, um, I have uh, very good friends who are in Milan yes. who are pregnant with twins <gasps> at the moment. And what has been an incredibly joyful thing for their family is now an incredible source of anxiety because of course she'll need to attend the hospitals uh, in order to have a cesarean um, and to have assessment uh, beforehand and so um, that of course you know exposes her and her partner to uh, the scenes that are going on in some of the hospitals there so that's the that's the complicated part is how we do business as usual within the health system and look after our pregnant women particularly those that need interventions now the vast majority of people who get this disease will be fine. 80% have no need of going near a hospital. Um, And that will be even more so the case for pregnant women and children. They don't get so affected by this disease. But for those who go there, and it does complicate things, and uh, so we need to also be thinking about all of that burden on the healthcare system hasn't gone away Mm -hmm. just because we've got coronavirus coming as well. So it's a very complex problem.
1: Yeah. Would one way to help, are schools closing? Is that now, could that soon be a reality here in WA, do you think?
3: I believe that's an option that will be on the table in the next few weeks um, in order to, and again, what we're doing there is we're slowing it down. We know that no one's immune. We know that eventually this will go through the community uh, wherever it is. We just want it to go through in stages and not all at once so that, whatever stage is currently affected, we can give them full care mm-hmm. uh, while the rest of the community are sort of uh, hiding out from this thing and then, and then it moves on to the next part. Mm-hmm. So yes, we will get to a stage where we'll need to um, uh, do fairly radical things like close the schools in order to slow down the spread. The thing about the kids, of course, is that because they are A, um, pretty much, you know, a lot of them won't get much in the way at all from this disease when they're carrying it. They, they won't really feel too sick at all and B, children are, as I keep saying, disgusting. So they um, <laughs> spread this thing around very efficiently when they do have it. They, so if you've got a 1,000 families connected through one year of a school that has a 1,000 kids in that year, yeah. um, and it goes through that year of the school, that then goes back to a 1,000 families, that's to 2,000 sets of grandparents, yeah. um, which is 4,000 older people, a lot of whom are doing childcare. Mm-hmm. So... When we say something like we're going to need to close the school for a while, people are, you know, is this scaremongering? Is this being a panic merchant? No, we're trying to protect four thousand grandparents mm. uh, from one family, and that's in that only one year of that school. So you multiply that by seven years in a um, uh, in, in a primary school, you've got twenty-eight thousand sets of grandparents. If it's a very big primary school, you probably don't have that many students per year, but. Um, the, the that's how the maths worked on us. This. this is why we look at something radical like a school closure and that's why we start getting people very nervous when we talk about the holy institution of Crabfest.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess we just need to wait and see whether that will be cancelled because that's taking place this weekend down in Mandra, where about 100,000 people are expected to be down there exposing themselves to a whole bunch of things.
3: Well, I think that, uh, and I say the same thing about the Grand Prix in Melbourne, is that these are are difficult events because they're on the borderline, right? Now, we know that if it was a couple of months out, Crabfest, and we had plenty of time, we we would almost certainly delay that to next year, um, as we probably will do with Anzac Day. Mm -hmm. But uh, because it's happening right now, it's sort of in that grey area between do you cancel it or don't you? Yeah. those aren't the choices. The choices are do you cancel it, which I don't understand what that means. I'm not the one writing the checks, so I wouldn't be, you know, I'm pretty arrogant, but I'm not arrogant enough to say <laughs> that I know the right answer there because um, there is an impact on these things that flows on to people we understand that. Yeah. But there's a few factors to take into account if you are running it, and one is the, the population you're likely to attract. Mandra has a lot of retirees. This disease hits people 65 and over, much worse than anyone else. That's yeah. the first thing. Yeah. The second thing is, Do you have an opportunity here to run a model event where you educate? So you've got a chance to get out there and teach people how to hold an event uh, without transmitting a virus around. So that means great hand hygiene opportunities everywhere you look. It means advertising everywhere you look to say, if you're unwell, you shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. Um, And it means uh, no kissing, no handshaking. Um, and being particularly careful. Yeah. So I think that's the compromise for things that are just about to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but down the track, we're going to need to look at something a bit more uh, certain. Yeah. I think we'll know better when we see what's happening in countries like uh, Spain and France and Germany, who are a bit ahead of us. Sure. The Japanese and the Singaporeans are doing a remarkable job. They're not accelerating as quickly as the Italians did, maybe different um, mm-hmm. Type of communities, uh, maybe different control over their communities in terms of so you know people used to uh, doing what they're told a bit more in a, in a mass uh, movement sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and but now, although we're seeing the Italians respond very effectively with their home shutdown, so sure. as we see those numbers, we'll get a clue as to what's going to happen here. Uh,
1: absolutely. Well, Dr. Andrew Miller, uh, far from anyone to consider you a scaremonger, I think you're probably the most rational person in this debate at the moment. Thank you so very much for joining us. Very kind.
3: Okay, any time, General, we'll talk anytime. Thank, Thank you.
1: you. So the world's biggest sporting events are in doubt, but what about you and your family? Are you going to take the kids to their weekend cricket game? Is Auskick still going to go ahead when the season starts? What about going out for dinner? What's safe and what's not? Joining me now is Michelle Sterling, communicable control expert from the West Australian Health Department. God, you must be a busy lady. It has been very busy recently at work.
4: Yeah.
1: So obviously I have now had this irrational fear in my head thinking, do I do away with my keep cup? Do I need to bring my own
4: cutlery to eat breakfast at work? Please help me. What do I do? Yes, absolutely not. There's no evidence to suggest that COVID-19 is spread by, it's not a foodborne uh, disease. Mm -hmm. So our normal food hygiene legislation that we have already in place governing our restaurants, our cafes, our supermarkets, they are more than adequate to ensure that um, our food is safe to eat. Okay. So certainly safe to eat when we go out to a restaurant. (sighs) In terms of your cutlery worries, um, normal dishwashing, a commercial dishwasher that any cafe or restaurant would be using and the detergents that they use in these dishwashers is more than adequate to protect you against uh, COVID-19 Um, your keep cup, what I would suggest is you keep them very clean, Mm -hmm. wash them in your own dishwasher at home preferably Mm -hmm. or with uh, hot water and uh, dishwashing liquid as you normally would. Uh, Don't just give them a quick rinse after you've used them. Just keep them clean and that should be fine.
1: I feel very seen right now because that's exactly how I clean mine. (laughs) Um, Now, buffets. Everyone loves to hit a buffet hard, whether that be at Crown or at Sizzler. But they are germ fest, right? Should we be careful there?
4: Certainly not in terms of COVID 19, okay. because as I've already said, <laughs> it, there's no evidence to suggest. Until I spend a bond. lot of my
1: spare time eating. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I do love a buffet myself, I must admit. <laughs> and I certainly wouldn't be stopping going to buffets at the moment. Okay. Uh, the normal food hygiene the standards that all these places apply will protect us against COVID 19.
1: Okay, it's not food based, but a lot of people out there. social distancing I mean this is this is one event that I am going to thrive in because you know haven't had a date in a a long time (laughs) should we be careful when we are potentially seeking a new relationship what is going to get us in encountering someone's
4: grotty sheets or meeting someone new like
1: how should we be careful out there
4: Yes. Okay. Um, well, it's certainly not a sexually transmitted disease. It's spread Breaking. by. Breaking. Yeah. Not as far as I know, anyway, we don't we don't have an awful lot of info on COVID nineteen, but it is spread by contact and droplet precautions. About by contact and droplet. So, basically, if you know if you don't know someone well enough mm-hmm. to know they haven't just flown back in from a hot spot yes. or they have a family member who's just flown back in from a hot spot and has been diagnosed with COVID-19, then yes. I think it's about getting to know the person just enough to know um, that they're not in a high risk. Uh, as Craig said when he was talking about the sport, make your own decision, mm-hmm. do that assessment of the person. It is spread by contact and droplets. So if you were kissing somebody with COVID-19 then presumably there would be a risk of you acquiring that.
1: Oh, that's dangerous. Very <laughs> dangerous. Okay, so food, not not an issue. Getting hot and heavy with someone and exchanging droplets could be dangerous.
4: If what, they've got COVID-19.
1: If you've got COVID-19. Oh my God, there's so many things to consider. <laughs> um, interestingly, a hand sanitizer. We are all frothing over it right now, but I, I believe that it's soap and hot water is how we're going to best ward against this.
4: Yes, soap and hot water. That's my advice for the general public. That is the best way to protect yourselves Mm -hmm. against COVID-19. As I say, it's spread by contact and droplet. So when somebody with COVID-19 was to sneeze or cough on a surface, it's going to land on the surface. You then put your hands on that surface. Mm -hmm. If you then touch your eyes, your mouth with those hands, Mm -hmm. that's when you could potentially um, spread the, the disease to yourself. So I would suggest... Regular washing with soap and hot water, especially if you've been out and about on public transport, all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. If you don't have soap and hot water to hand, hand sanitizers are also effective. Mm -hmm. Bear in mind, hand sanitizers aren't effective if your hands are dirty. They're visibly dirty. So, in other words, we recommend when you're preparing food, Mm -hmm. when you're eating, before you eat, uh, before you go into this buffet, <laughs> give your hands a wash with soap and water. <laughs> I can see us all washing our hands, but that's good. That's good for all food hygiene. It's not just for COVID-19.
1: If anything, we've learned out of this is how to be hygienic. I saw a, a hilarious meme that's been doing the rounds on social media um, where a lot of people say you should wash your hands with hot soapy water to and sing Happy Birthday twice. Yes. My second favourite thing is you should reread uh, Julia Gillard's fa- famous misogyny speech Out loud, <laughs> and also the acronym is: uh, if you do sneeze, don't touch men. So your mouth, eyes, nose—yes, any
4: mucous membrane—that's uh, how you how you get any kind of respiratory virus. So um, don't touch in there. It's really Wash your hands well. Wash under your rings. Um, don't have the water so hot that you damage your skin because that's also bad for you. Just Tolerably yeah, warm. We don't water. want to go to the don't emergency room for yeah. that now. <laughs> okay.
1: Got it. Well, Michelle Sterling, thank you so very much for joining us. That's some very helpful information. One gentleman who, in my mind, needs no introduction because he's an icon of this uh. town. <laughs> but Jeff Parry from Seven News. You just returned from a trip and you you have been tested for coronavirus.
5: I have, Jenna, and, and I've been waiting for the invite to come on the program for so long and I finally got it today.
1: <laughs> it's so nice to have you here.
5: <laughs> Actually, <clears throat> I know it's because I have been ill and I did get tested for coronavirus. I think I was probably the first journo in town to, uh, but it's more bad timing than bad management. Yeah. Oh. Um, I had been overseas. I came back uh, from uh, India and Singapore. Yes, um, I felt I fell ill uh, on a Sunday. I rang the uh, my uh, GP mm-hmm. um, medical centre on the on the Monday mm-hmm. and said, "I'm assuming you don't want me to come in." And they said, "Well, no, please don't." Oh, you're and so
1: responsible. Well, I
5: know. <laughs> Terrible, isn't it? My <laughs> GP came uh, and gowned up on my front porch. Gloves, mask, the, the, the gown, the whole thing. At the, at the time, he's all gloved up and about ready to come in, and an NBN guy or a tel... <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he's flogging, he's flogging um, NBN. It was about to walk into my property. He says, stop, don't come in here. There's about to be a medical procedure. So I'm not sure what he thought which one it would be. Um, had swabs of my nose, my mouth, my blood was taken, and uh, he sent that off to pathology. It came yeah. back the next day clear. I was oh, I was negative, thank but I had a terrible um, influenza strain in um, mm. PIV type 3, which is bronchial pneumonia. I, and for two weeks, I wished I had coronavirus.
1: Yeah, No well, disrespect so, to those who have it. Yeah. Well, <clears> so. this, is, this is all of the – we've been speaking to a health minister, Roger Cook, and also president of the AMA, and Dr. Andrew Miller, this week, and they're saying, look, coronavirus is bad, but it w- will be the flu that will be the most dangerous sort of season that we'll have this year. So –
5: yes but I think I mean this is this sort of you know people saying oh it's not worse than the flu and I think now the medical some of the even the the the, the uh, naysayer politicians um you know of high standing and now starting to agree that yes it w- it is worse than the flu yeah um but it's it, it's fa- it's it's yeah I've never seen anything like this you know in terms of it's just fascinating. Um, and you've and, seen and, a lot of things and scare, but yeah. I mean, in terms of the well, yes. But I mean, in terms of two, in terms of the effect on the world, the mm. dislocation to the world, you know, have you ever seen it so bad? Well, I think you probably have to go back to World War Two, and, and I wasn't around in World. <laughs> I wasn't reporting <laughs> World War Two. You're a cadet. <coughs> Kidding. I'm joking. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. People, <laughs> people say I was a cadet of World War One, but. But uh, you know, look, look at the dislocation in the world. You've got countries closed down, sort mm. of uh, during the Cold War, you know the world was sort of split in two. Yeah, the iron but, kit. but here, you know, now um, you know, whole countries have closed down, uh, flights have stopped, um, people are you know in self isolation. There mm. were the the, the um, and I was only a kid when they had the uh, the polio epidemics. Um, that they were in the 30s, 40s, and and in the 50s, mm-hmm. and they banned. About fifty six, I think it was. The Queen was coming out for a visit. Yes. The new Queen and um, with the Duke, and they were holding. They they banned. They stopped all the public gatherings to to meet her back in oh. that was fifty six. I was only, eight, I was only a year old. That tells people how old I am. I saw but, that on the crown. But that was <laughs> yes. But so so that was you know. I mean, the, since then um, they've had SARS, MERS. People, yeah. you know, people 20. can hardly remember it. You know, yeah. this one they'll remember for the rest of their lives.
1: Paul Everingham from the Chamber of Minerals and Energy joins me now. He represents the big mining companies who have workforces in the thousands. We all know that these companies are not charities. They have profit margins and they have shareholders to think about. In your opinion, uh, what reassuring news uh, can, can you and can they give their West Australian workforce in the midst of this looming crisis?
0: Look, I'd say to West Australians and Australians that... Um, Australia's particularly well-placed both uh, because of the strength of our federal and state governments um, in terms of preparedness, but also both Western Australia and Australian governments have strong balance sheets at this stage, um, which is helpful. Mm-hmm. In terms of the resource sector itself, um, it's a very large part of the West Australian, mm. Australian economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, It'll play a big part in um, returning to growth uh, when we're through this health um, and virus issue. Yeah,
1: and in terms of the meeting yesterday with Premier Mark McGowan, were were the uh, people, the business heads, were they happy? Was the Premier happy? Was he he actively listening to their concerns and their experiences? and, And were you happy you're walking out of that meeting?
0: Very. It was a very constructive meeting. Premier's been on the front foot with this issue since January, um, when I came back from leave, uh, not long after that, I was um, asked to attend a meeting with the Premier and mm-hmm. with some of our members. He's been focused on this for months now. He was um, he was positive. He's you know he he recognises this is a serious uh, disease and outbreak, mm-hmm. um, and particularly for um, unwell or or um, elderly people in our community. Mm-hmm. But he's continuing to urge uh, caution, people shouldn't panic. Um, we have a fantastic healthcare system and um, we have strong state and federal governments and the resource sector, um, if you look behind you know, current challenges, uh, was going through somewhat of a, a rebound um, in Australia and globally and we're confident that the sector will help the Australian and global economy bounce back once this challenge is out of the way.
1: Great. And look, I think uh, Premier yesterday was definitely calling on bipartisan support. Um, Have the opposition uh, been in contact with you and and with these companies to ensure that they also have their full support?
0: Yeah, look, we met with um, Lisa Harvey and the Liberal opposition on Tuesday. Um, They've given us their full support. Uh, We've been in contact with... Um, the federal opposition, they're very supportive and dealt, they're making, um, the right noises around supporting the federal government stimulus packages. At the moment, we're seeing both sides of government come together and work constructively with our sector and together, Mm -hmm. you know, the government and the resources sector, we're confident that, um, will help re-stimulate the Australian economy to come back to bigger and better things in the medium to long term.
1: Yeah, sure. And I guess, uh, Pauline, I know that you need to dash, but I just one final question, I guess, for the workers of the Fluoro Brigade. Yep. What sort of one message could you give them just to make sure that we can sort of all get through this together? They must be very worried. So is there any type of reassurance from you that we can give them today?
0: Yeah, look, I, you're vital to our sector. You make our sector tick. Mm-hmm. Every day, every week, every year. It's important, though, if you are sick, do not come to work and affect and impact your fellow employees. You'll still have a job, even if you are sick. Nobody's going to fault you for staying at home because you're sick. Um, In fact, people will reward you. So we need you, but we need you healthy. So if you're not healthy, stay home and come back when you're healthy.
1: That is brilliant advice, Paul Everingham from the CME. Good luck today. You've got a busy couple of months ahead of you. Thank you so much for joining us on the West Live.
0: My pleasure. Thanks very much.
1: Coming up with me now, the stock market is apparently having absolute conniptions. Neil Pryor, personal finance editor at the West Australian. My friend, you were dusty this morning. You went to the Crash! Pinnacle. You went to the Pinnacles last Pinnacle Awards.
6: I did. It was nice. It was actually like being at a funeral. <laughs> it was actually quite. Peculiar, like the, the funeral
1: s- of a close friend, or a funeral where you can kind of go, I don't need to ugly. Cry. I know
6: I don't need to ugly. It's sort of like it was a funeral of a remote friend. It was quite
1: I peculiar. Do that,
6: it, was in, it was it was quite sort of inspi- inspiring in some ways. That I talking about leadership in times of crisis. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the welcome the welcome to country was about sort of look at things bigger than you. It was like a religious type event. I it was beautifully I done. Love a welcome to country. And, and no, but this was over the top. This was beautifully done about. Mm-hmm hey, look beyond yourself. And then the talks were about, hey, we're in really tough times. It's difficult. It was quite sort of reflective. Mm, it was, was very It was very well done. And to wait, then to wake up this morning and well go, get home last night, a few beers under the belt and see mm. Wall Street crashing and try and sleep.
1: S&P get, down, what,
6: 7%? Yeah, Dow down 10%. Oy, oy, it's oy. the biggest crash since 1987. Biggest um, fall.
1: Okay, so, so for those of us who don't read yeah, you know the ASX and follow it closely, what does that mean?
6: It basically means that the American market was grossly overvalued three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and it's now being brought back to reality. That's my view of it. it, it the COVID nineteen is dragging markets back to where they should be. Frankly, yeah. Um, but the problem is, when panic sets in, does it keep going too far? That's the big problem we've got now. I mean, the Dow, Dow Jones being down down ten percent in a night after the American president closes the borders <laughs> of the country. We're in scary territory here. Yeah, It's not rational. I mean, you want to have a share market go back to a normal price, mm-hmm. but not the way it's doing now. Well, it's frightening times.
1: Uh, locally? Uh, we're
6: down 7% this morning. Which is big. Big. We're down actually more over the past three weeks than Wall Street is. We're down 31. We're, we're now down roughly, as we speak, around 31% in three weeks. I think Wall Street's down about 24 so Wall Street's gone nuts higher and hasn't come down as much.
1: So this is what gets me. So I, I know a lot of self-funded retirees would probably yes. have um, a stock portfolio. Yes. And they these are the people that probably will not be eligible for the government's stimulus handout. If
6: What if, if you are? If you've got a – I think if you've got a pension card, if you've got a healthcare card, okay. you can. So okay. a lot of those people are – people are semi-self-funded. Like if you've got – a retiree with say eight hundred grand of assets, yes, you might get sixty dollars a week, of say eighty dollars a week as a couple, eighty dollars a fortnight of pension. Sure, you'll get the stimulus. Okay, um, they'll be getting the stimulus, so they're going to get it. I think there's I'm still going through the details, but I think there's still health some healthcare card holders get it as well. Yeah, so it's pretty well spread out to okay. people who actually need it. The government hasn't been mean in this one; it's actually yeah. been. If anything, defaulting towards being kind.
1: What about uh, average people like you and me? We have steady full time jobs. We're not, you know, we're not earning a bucketload of cash because we're journo's. How will will uh, a lot of people I've spoken to consider themselves working poor? So you have a, a steady income, but mm. you are you are then mortgaged to the hilt. You have a bucket load of utility uh, household utility bills to pay, yeah. and then there's not a lot of cash left over. Will we re- will we benefit from any of this?
6: No. <laughs> no. Oh well, this is well, cancelled. We're going. On. I mean, I, you know, someone like me and you, who, who probably don't qualify for welfare in any way, yeah, we're not going to get benefit from it. we yeah. the only benefit we have is that hopefully the stimulus saves our job, yes, and saves our business and people we work for. Yeah, I mean, for sure. every business at the moment is under threat mm-hmm. because of this, and if we lose our if we lose our jobs, someone like me, I'm fifty, I'm fifty, I'm almost. I am I 57 now, almost 58? I'm at an age where I can access my super in, in, in less than a year's time. Yeah. If I get if this if I get made redundant in the next six months, yeah. I might be accessing my super early next year. Yeah. So for me, I watch the value of my super very closely. Whereas mm. someone you're young and bright, you've got 25 years to go until you access your super. It's oh, a makes very you feel
1: tired.
6: You're young. You got a long way to go. Much more grinding. You got to do two or three more of these crashes.
1: Oh, I want to self-isolate You'll now. be
6: here in 25 years. So I'm going, oh, I was talking <laughs> to this old bloke, nearly. and I went to his
1: funeral last Stop week. Stop it. You and Parry will still be here. I oh, know we won't. We'll be gone. <laughs> we'll be gone. No. Well, in saying that, we hope you come back and join us on The West Live sometime soon. You go and watch that stock market and your super fund.
6: My super fund's okay because I got out of shares a year ago, big time.
1: Oh, there's your tip. Yeah, there's Pull your tip. The of t- tips this morning. Well, the-, the
6: thing about it is that don't be scared of being a chicken. If you're sitting up – if you're sitting it. <laughs> What? If you're worried about this so much and you're sitting up not sleeping at night worrying about the share market crash, you don't have to be in the bloody no. market.
1: I like my investments where I can see them hanging in my closet. <laughs>
6: <safe>. <laughs> they, don't, they lose value. Yeah,
1: shut up. Don't that. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Neil Friar, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you for your company. I'll be back Monday morning with all the latest on Coronavirus Watch. Stay safe. Don't forget to wash your hands.